Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidas from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Welcome from the trade show floor of ASHG 2022. That's the American Society of Human Genetics. In Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And we have all three of us in the same place and at the same time. So I have to remember not to look at you, (laughs) but to look at you. But we had a really and are having an awesome time. And I want to start with talking about the workshop that Olink put on. So who wants to start talking about the workshop? I'll do it. I think so. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the workshop was an industry session put on uh, BioLink. And we thought, you know, some people thought we would have only 50 people. I thought over 100. But we had over 200 people there for a presentation by Chris Whelan, uh, who was discussing the work that he, Melissa Miller from Pfizer and uh, Lyndon Mittenall from Regeneron spearheaded around bringing these groups together that, you know, several of these pharma proteomics partners came out of the Axome Sequencing Consortium, but they brought on another seven uh, folks and then and then really built this proteomic data set that will be public uh, and soon. What's uh, Cindy's talking about is the UK Biobank Plasma Proteum Project. Pharma Proteum. Pharma. I keep saying Plasma Proteum Project, yeah. but it's the Pharma Proteum yeah, Project. It's all about the pharma, man. And Chris, right, was spearheading it, he organizing it, and here it is, he's speaking at an industry workshop. So what did he talk about? So he he had some several great points, but much of it was around this structure of building a, a PQTL data set for a, a systematic approach to therapeutic target discovery. But he also talked uh, about a couple of, of examples within those data. And one I really liked was where he looked at um, stratifying with polygenic risk and then looking doing a biomarker study and using the genetics in a different way than than integrating with looking at correlations to proteins, which I quite like those examples because there are lots of different ways that that genetics can add value to how you structure your proteomic study to improve your power to detect the relationship between genetics and disease. So here we had a full house, right? He's walking through the goals of the UKB uh, Pharma Proteome Project. Well done, well done. And then he had what? 54,000 samples worth of data. Did he talk really much about the data? So he, he like I said, he dug in a little bit about examples, like PCSK9 was an example. I'm, I'm trying to remember if on this talk he talked about the ABO blood group. He, he often uses that. You know, these are examples that are in that bioarchive preprint. You know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give away a little behind-the-scenes thing I heard last night, and that was that the pharma proteomics partners were digging the idea of calling it the UKBOPP, be down with OPP, especially since we're in Los Angeles. So I thought that was fun, like putting O-Link in there, but yeah, alas, <laughs> not to be, not to be. I the did, O-Link proteomics project? <laughs> I, did, I did dig that whole uh, link to, to the rap world yeah. sitting here in LA. And when you're talking about last night, you were actually in a meeting then? No, we think? actually had a, a celebratory dinner. Oh, how neat. Yeah, it was beautiful, really. Now, to see these people I haven't met in person before sure. and, and talk to 
them. Well, about I mean, that's rest. the advantage of an in-person conference, right? For many that's of right. us, it's like the first time in three years we've seen each other in person right. for ASHE, right? That's right. And actually, since we're talking about the the UKBOPP or okay PPP, <laughs> uh, we actually have uh, Evan Mills over here, off to my left. I'm going to drag him in and have him just say a few words about. He went with me to that dinner. We had several people on, from Olink uh, at that dinner. And so, yeah, Evan, can you just say hello and hello. a little bit about your Welcome. role yeah, in the Get UKB close to the microphone and inside the, yeah, there we go. Yep. I feel like I'm being led into the circle of trust here. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much, my friends. <clears throat> yeah, so, so this meeting's been incredible. Uh, my role, I'm the VP of our global strategic account team. And that essentially means... Where is Olink going to make the most impact in the world? Trying to make sure we find those those opportunities and uh, work very closely with those partners. So the UK Biobank Pharma Proteomics Project clearly falls into that. And I've had the privilege of getting to know and work very closely with the 13 companies. And last night was a bit of a culmination where everyone sat around the dinner table, raised the glass. Congratulations about the success of the project. All and of the data is actually going to be coming imminently um so it was really one of those pinch yourself moments uh, to mm. be sitting with i mean there were so so many thought leaders in the space yeah. all around one table you know mark mccarthy uh, slavy petrovsky chris whalen aaron smith aaron smith melissa miller i mean it was just really an amazing opportunity so yeah, it's been a, it's been a heck of a meeting. Yeah, it has. And and while we're talking about Erin Smith, I will mm. say Erin Smith's poster. She's at Takeda, so yep. she her poster here, which which used uh, proteomics to look at Nash, uh, won a reviewer's choice award. So I don't know if I'm close enough to the microphone to actually be recording this, but but just saying that Erin Smith uh, from Takeda, her poster that that leveraged the UK Biobank data. Uh, won a reviewer's choice award, and so did Ben Smith's. Or no, sorry, Ben's Ben's son. Sorry, Aaron Smith, Ben's son. Uh, so did Ben's son, and of course the the pharma proteomics partners are, are co-authors on that uh, that son at Al paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a remarkable number. I'm, I don't know if you've described the 19, you know, abstracts and six talks. I mean, we are at a genetics conference, and we're a proteomics company. So I just think this is a very important future viewing sign that uh, the community that's used to ATs, Cs, and Gs are really opening up to large-scale proteomics and seeing the tremendous impact that it can have. I mean, Saranta says you're as a multi-omics guy. Ah, uh, were you surprised by this? Or no, do you think I'm this actually, is... I'm, su I'm surprised of how many people and uh, they're talking about the K-Biobank. I think that the cohort is amazing. We have access and we have like collaborations like, with a lot of academic pharma companies yeah. around these uh, samples and the future is here the future of proteomics is here now everybody talks about the next steps proteomics is now really nice integrated with genomics when people they think about genomics they consider immediately proteomics to integrate the data and uh, yeah they're they're really great great moments to come you know and the, the question is always what comes next right and it was a discussion about the future and it was really nice because We've been in a couple of uh, talks where they tried to integrate, and there were discussions with, from Stephen Horvath, where oh, they tried Steve right. Horvath actually, that they would try to integrate, I think, to integrate UK Biobank methylation profiles, methylation data, and really nicely explained that uh, methylation data of uh, plasma proteins, they really correlate with expression levels of the, of the proteins themselves, right? And there are really nice correlation between protein levels and DNA methylation pattern more than the expression at any levels. You know, well, that's something really nice and astonishing to hear. 
when, when you want to have a better view of your biomarkers, you have to integrate genomics approach, different layers of omics, and RNA itself doesn't say all the truth. Proteins are the bricks, are the blocks that correlate really nicely for changes that happen in DNA, genetics, DNA methylation, now, epigenetics. And that's, that's, that's a great, that was a great uh, take-home message from, from Steve Bell. Now, now Sarantis, awesome. you're Mr. Methylation here, right? And at a genetics conference, there's a lot of methylation talk, right, in terms of DNA, RNA, protein, and what's regulating the RNA. I mean, Stephen Horvath, right, he's talking in the context of UK Biobank, right? And he's giving this aspiration wanting methylation data from the UK Biobank as another omic layer. And then what happens? All the questions are all around methylation. <laughs> it's like, okay, we People know are about, excited. They're excited we, we know about that. the pharma proteome project's gonna have all these great drug targets. We know it's gonna be great biomarkers and all this great stuff. It's like, okay, well, yeah, but we want something more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's a multi-omics approach, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, we are in the era of multi-omics, and I think proteomics brings a really big value to bridge different yes. omics, right? That's, that's the thing. Gives you yeah. great and specificity. I think that the tool building, too. So I'll also say something else that um, was just a really exciting highlight for me was the Allen Award, of course, a very prestigious mm -hmm. ASHG award uh, that went to uh, Professor Sir Peter Donnelly. He was knighted in 2019, I believe. Uh, but he has been pivotal since the, you know, I started at Illumina during HapMap. So he was a, a big leader and proponent for the approaches that were used in the HapMap project. And of course, that HapMap project had like one plate of Caucasian samples, one, one plate of Yoruba samples, and half a plate of each Han Chinese and Japanese samples, right? Just that was our first sort of swath at, at diversity across uh, different uh, different popula ancestral populations. And, uh, and after that, the 1000 Genomes Project, you know, once the once next generation sequencing became available. And so all of that documenting or, or cataloging of SNP diversity, he was pivotal in, in building out methods for analyzing those data. He built structure, right? So when I was in graduate school, Jonathan mm. Pritchard was one of his students who who built that program i think he was a student i don't think he was a postdoc i think he was a student and this program structure does what structure actually is I'm, i still see it in most sessions in at least yes. one talk in most sessions yes. the use of this this amazing tool to essentially take data mm -hmm. and use the data for it to uh generate the number of groups that are represented by the genetic data right so, so these are these dot plots with the different colors that's right, right? where you exactly. have like african in this dimension that's and right east yeah. asian in this dimension exactly yes. yeah beautiful colorful yep. plots yeah that demonstrate sort of within this we think there are three groups or within the data right letting the yes. data speak for itself rather than a priori saying yes. you know like and for me looking at fish i was you mm -hmm. know sampling from eight locations but if those eight locations actually only represent four unique genetic entities yep. that says something about how to conserve or manage and those fish but let's go back to peter donnelly i just want to say what a what okay. a rock star he is uh -huh. and then we can yeah okay <laughs> i just go right ahead really want to call out to this man yeah. because he is you know certainly a statistical geneticist a statistical mm. analyst right but with having that skill, but also being charismatic and able to bring people together to help them 
see what's possible with it. Like being able to communicate, it just comes down to communication so yes. often. And, yes. and he's such a thought leader here. And so I was just so excited to see his. And when he told me he was getting an award and then I mm. looked up what he was getting an award, I, I was mm. just like, he's so humble and so amazing. So, okay, well, now I mean, the let, importance yeah. of communicating, right? The uh, importance of working with others. Yeah. Um, I mean, the point I was going to make before is as far as the use of this term structure, I mean, this particular program structure, yeah. is that in the UK Biobank, people can say, I identify as sort of, I believe my parentage is Japanese. I have every reason to believe it. But genetically, it, could it be that there may be some Mongolian in Dale's background? Who right, knows? Right. right? Yeah. But then the, a program like this, right? Say I sign up for all of us, right? And by the way, right, I, I went to an all of us session. And it was fascinating to see that, yes, even though COVID kind of slowed their enrollment down and slowed the progress down, they're up and going again. And so I went to joinallofus.org this morning and I started the enrollment. Why? I think they're only about a half million into their million sample cohort. And like you mentioned, Cindy, right? They're working on getting great diversity. There was one talk that talked about engaging a Native American right uh american native populations and and they're really emphasizing that and there was one particular talk where it was just how many tribes in just alaska it's like 211 i mean it was, yeah. it was wild right well i mean wow. there's what is it how many ethno-linguistic groups in africa right 54 countries but like 2000 maybe it's 3000 oh i'm and you remind yeah. me, right, of another so great plenary session, right, where they're announcing, right, Genome Centers of Excellence in Africa. They're getting a conference in Cape Town in the spring. Francis yeah. Collins kicking that We have that an off. abstract submitted to that conference, by the way. Oh, how cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, we um, hope, we hope. Yeah. I mean, the emphasis, right, on non-European populations, yeah. the emphasis on diversity, the emphasis on African genomes. I mean, in that one session, they talked about Lhasa infectivity. They talked about sickle cell anemia and and, and just HIV some and HIV infections and, and some remarkable disparities, right? In terms of right the yeah. number of, uh, for example, for sickle cell, right? There are several gene therapy trials here in the U.S. and in Africa. Yeah, Zero. you know, right. I, I I'd like to double click back on the All of Us program because something that I learned here this meeting was that it it isn't currently set up in the way that UK Biobank is set up with a with an international sharing structure, which. You know, I imagine they have good reasons for, but I think there's a there's a hope that all of us will consider creating an international sharing structure that will enable if we build these centers of excellence in Africa, we want those scientists to be able to analyze those data or, or interplay with those data. Maybe it can't be transferred or downloaded, yeah. but had it, having a federated sharing environment, having a a protected sharing environment that allows insights from those data to mm -hmm. then be transferred because those investments can be used globally, like the UK Biobank project. Sure. Has. I mean, there was a tweet, right, that was really popular talking about how frequent the UK Biobank is popping up. Somebody yeah. saying, you know, they felt like every other talk mentions right. the UK Biobank. <laughs> it's a great validation cohort, right? But also for, for you know, uh, initial initial findings. You know, people yeah. are still mining those data directly. I mean, as a grad student, I would imagine that's a rich data set to have access to. And a lot sure. of sequencing, right? And, I mean, yeah. I know that you're 
looking really close to the new sequencing technologies. Uh, yeah. like, would you yeah. like to share some information on that? Actually? Yeah, well, I mean, Maroon 5, right? <laughs> <We're playing the laughs> we should talk night. about Maroon 5. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, so it's a gigantic line. I mean, Olink had our own VIP event. It was pretty small, right? But then yeah. all these people lighting up to hear Maroon 5 and pictures and stuff like that. But why? Why have, you know, a popular band play? It's because they announced two new platforms, PacBio, 15X, the Rivio, 15X, the throughput of a sequel to the Onso, which is the Omnium short read platform. You've got MGI here. You've got Ultimate Genomics here. We've got Singular Genomics here. We've got Element Biosciences here, all with new instruments, right? All sort of bringing it to market. With their own differentiators, yeah. Their own differentiators. And, uh, what about the cost? What do you think about the cost? Just driving it down. Just driving it down. Now, for what does that mean for Olink? It means great things for Olink. Why? Because Olink customers receive the benefit of those lower costs. Exactly. That they're not held to $6 a gigabase for NovaSeq 6000. I'm, yeah, NovaSeq 6000 SP4, right? Oh. I, I have to insert the company mm -hmm. line here and just say we are not validated currently on any of these platforms, but we yep. certainly have collaborations with many of them. Yes, and, and we uh, had a and press with, release. With an interest to keep a yeah. focus on, you know, how do we continue to drive down cost in genomics? We see That's the correct. benefits. Yeah. Yep. That's so important. Yep. And and, mm -hmm, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, the DNA, oh, I'm sorry, the NovaSeq X, right? They're announcing $2 a gigabase at the end, toward the end of 2023, which is fine. And a new instrument, which they have right here in the Illumina booth, but you walk over to MGI, right? The BGI, MGI, they've got a T7, $1.50 per gigabase now. And you just say, well, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty remarkable. That is happening here at this conference, right? Because of the, all the different progress with lawsuits and what have you for you to operate. But nonetheless, right? Ultima saying we're going to be at $2 a gigabase, you know, come February of next year. Uh, I went to the Element talk and it was remarkable, right, how they're driving down costs and how they have really high quality. So one of the interesting things here at ASHG is science communication. And of course, with posters, there's some 3000 posters and it's a remarkable work being done in lots of places. We have this thing in our booth, right, with a number of different posters from, from the UK Biobank, but I was looking for Cindy's poster and I couldn't find it because there's so many people crowded around it. So Cindy, why don't you tell us, why don't you tell us a little bit about your poster? Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to me actually because there are so many posters. I've, I've not had a crowd around an ASHG poster like this in how interesting in any of the times that I've presented here. So that is so cool. It was really cool. It was cool. <laughs> so things were noticing, and someone took a picture. I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone took a picture? And then there's Dale taking a picture, and I was thinking, oh, I should have worn my other shoes. But anyway, um, <laughs> the the poster is is really an aspirational poster about the work being done by the UK Biobank with proteins, meaning that um, I talk about a previous proteogenomics project, it's a little smaller scale on the protein side, so 30,000 samples, so respectable sample size, it's a cohort of cohorts, you're bringing together, this is the scallop study, uh, and then 90 proteins, right, and so I talk about the 90 proteins, how many PQTL discoveries were made possible by the 30,000 samples, and and then how many of those from Mendelian randomization were able to, um, to have strong evidence for 
potential therapeutic targets. And so if we saw that same sort of five and a half percent conversion to potential therapeutic targets in the UK Biobank, you know, apply that to just the 1500 proteins that are published in the bioarchive paper, you know, that's over 500 potential therapeutic targets, disease agnostic across different diseases. So anything that's going to give pharma uh, a more unbiased approach or a disease agnostic approach to an evidence to, to support consideration of particular proteins as, as targets, uh, I get excited about that. So, so there were several people that, that came and I think maybe because of where it was located, others that were walking by stopped as well. And so I got to present it several times, which is really fun. But an hour and a half is not enough time for, you know, for a, a poster session where you want to see even just five or 10 posters of 3000 posters, right? Because that's, there's just so many, so much space to cover and you want to have a conversation with each person presenting it. And so it was, it was just nice that people took the time to come and, now, and listen. One, one particular poster that caught my eye was one from Takeda, right? That uses oh. UK Biobank. Yep. Yep. That's Aaron's. Yeah. I think we mentioned that when, when, when we, when uh, Evan popped his head in, but mm -hmm. yeah, that one mm. that got the reviewer's choice yeah. award, such a, yeah, talking about, you know, the potential for these proteins to suggest something about the, the action in hepatocytes, what are, you know, exosomes they mentioned in the conclusions, you know, really for, for future um, studies, which is such a hot topic that people are talking about, but I'm not seeing a lot of publications yet coming out looking at broad-scale proteomics within the exosome. That's, that's... Uh, I think it's quite difficult, also, not only to isolate, but also to start protein and that, but we are working, and I think we have a lot of, uh, now, case studies that are moving in this direction, right, from all yeah. the proteomics, which is really nice to work through some studies, actually. That's where the small yeah. input volume, that's right, Sarantis? Yeah, super yeah. low yeah. amounts of protein, uh, only being able to pick up protein right yeah protein signals from a remarkable number of sample types and you know here i mean we're here on the show floor you know here there's so much going on you can hear overhead they're saying that the show floor is opening up in 15 minutes last show day the last show day well any final thoughts here from ASHG? I mean, uh, what I can say from my side is like, we see a lot of need for liquid biopsies, for non-invasive methods, and we see that uh, they are correlating me nicely, especially in case of cancer with solid cancer. We don't, people in the future, I hope they do not need to go through <laughs> solid cancers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say mine is, you know, the promise of successes of pre-competitive collaborations bringing together groups to, to have power for large studies. I think every time we see a success in this regard, it, it lays the groundwork for future potential successes. And I think that's, if we can get the lawyers to all agree on terms, then um, that's, I think that's the hard part is to make sure that the, the interests of each of the partners is, is respected and they're able to get benefit from it. But I'm very optimistic about that. It is optimistic time. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. 